have your Bibles with you, we're in Proverbs chapter 9 today. You ever wake up in the morning and um, have a dream just before you wake up and it was like so clear that it kind of messes with you, like you, you wake up with a sense of urgency because you think something is wrong because you dreamed that it was wrong? I had that this morning. <laughs> I woke up at 4 a.m. I always wake up really early on Sunday mornings, but not quite 4. Um, but I, I woke up at 4, and I, and I had this thought in my head, like, I was dreaming that I showed up to church, and I had accidentally written a sermon over the same passage of Scripture that I preached the week before. And I was like, oh, no, I forgot to turn the page and, and preach the next chapter. What have I done? I got six hours before church starts. I got to come up with a sermon. And I, I started, like, panicking for a little bit. And then I was like, wait a second, I, I never do that. What, what am I thinking? And, but I had to go, like, like, confirm it in my notes. <laughs> it was so real to me when I was panicking there. But I think one of the reasons that I had that dream is because chapter 9 is so much like chapter 8. <laughs> That it kind of feels like I wrote a sermon over the same passage of scripture. Uh, what we're studying today is an appeal from God to you all, to us, to be wise. You may think, well, that's what every chapter has been about up to this point. Pastor Cody, what's going on? We, we're, we're constantly reading an appeal to be wise. He is calling us to be wise and we need to hear that calling and to understand that calling and what exactly that calling is to. Uh, otherwise, the rest of these uh, things that we come to expect in the book of Proverbs, they won't carry any weight with us. Because what we come to expect when we open the book of Proverbs are those wisdom zingers, right? Those one-liner wisdom zingers. Here's a nugget of wisdom. You can slap that on a magnet, put it on your refrigerator, or put it in your back pocket and whip it out when you need it. Some good common sense. But, but the book of Proverbs won't let you get away with that mentality. It doesn't want you to take that approach to its book. Don't, don't look at Proverbs like that. With, the wisdom in Proverbs is something more specific. You are being called to pursue heavenly wisdom, wisdom from God. Maybe you've heard someone before say, you know, uh, well, the way, the way I see it, uh, things are this way. Well, the book of Proverbs is God saying, I see it all. I'm the creator of all things. I set life up. And I want you to have this specific wisdom that I use to create all things. And so we approach this book with what's described in the book of Proverbs as the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord. What that means in Proverbs is seeing God as perfectly holy. It's not fear like in, oh, we got to run from God, I'm scared of him. It's fear in the sense that what he says is true. And he says that he is good, and it's building on that foundation. And so otherwise, we would just kind of, we, we, we might close our eyes and pick a proverb and read it for that day and just say, well, that's a good piece of common sense. I'll just tuck that away in the back of my mind. We'll sift through proverbs looking for what's good and leaving what we deem to be bad. That's, how, that's the approach we take without the fear of the Lord. But with the fear of the Lord, we know that all of these things are good. All of these things are necessary. We are not just on some pursuit of good common sense. We are on a pursuit of God's sense. That's the calling. Be called to have the sense that I have for you. Take that wisdom. That's what I'm offering you. 
And so the wisdom prescribed in this book sits on that foundation that God is perfect. He is the measure of all things. He is good. And if you have that understanding, like I said, well then, Proverbs has a, carries a little bit more weight. This comes from God who is good all the time, we're instructed in the Bible. You know, Jesus taught with that mentality. He taught with that foundation. He wanted to make sure that when he interacted with people, if we're going to dialogue about something, we need to sit on the same foundation in order to have a, a, a productive conversation. So uh, he would convey this truth in many different settings. One of the times that he did this was when he interacted with the rich young ruler. And so that's in the, in the Gospel of Luke. It's also in Matthew. We studied it during our time in Matthew. And so the rich young ruler approaches Jesus and, and he asks Jesus a question. But it's the way that he addresses Jesus that sets Jesus up to respond the way that he does. So the rich young ruler comes to Jesus and says, it says a certain ruler, well, we know he's rich and he's young and he's a ruler. That's what we know about this guy. Um, a certain ruler asked him, good teacher. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Man, that's a big question, right? What must I do to inherit eternal life? Well, Jesus' response to that question is very specific. It's the fact that he responded, that he asked him the question saying, good teacher. He addressed him as a good teacher. Hey, good teacher. Well, the way that that came out in Greek, Jesus responds this way. Why do you call me good? He doesn't answer the question directly. He answers the question with a question. Jesus does that a lot. Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. In other words, if I'm going to ask this big, thought-provoking question that you have for me, what must I do to inherit eternal life, we have to be able to sit. For us to have any agreement, any similarity in our worldview, we have to sit on the foundation that God alone is good. Now, I think Jesus, he responded that way for a couple of reasons, not all of which we can get into today. But the main reason he responded that way is because we have to sit on this understanding that God is perfectly good. Whatever he says is good. Whatever he does is good. The way he thinks is right. He's never wrong. So we don't go looking for God to determine if he is good or bad. We go looking for God as believers to, to determine what is good or bad. Because he is perfectly good. And we compare all things to him. That's what it means to have a God sense of wisdom, not just a good common sense wisdom, right? Now, sometimes good common sense or, or what, we, what we would accept as good common sense in our culture or what's popular uh, in our culture as common sense, sometimes that aligns perfectly with a God sense of wisdom, doesn't it? There's many times that we have sayings in, in English and sayings in our culture that match up and align perfectly with what God calls wisdom, but other times, not so much. Sometimes buying into and believing in a God's sense of wisdom means that you're going to be at odds with the world's sense of wisdom. And that's, that, that message has come through very clearly in the book of Proverbs up to this point. And we need that understanding or the rest of these Proverbs just aren't going to do us much good. I mean, everybody wants to be wise. Everybody desires wisdom. Who doesn't want to be wise? Everybody wants to believe that they understand what is right and what is wrong and what's good and what's bad. But living with a God's sense of wisdom, it just asks different or more specific questions. This is right and this is good. Well, according to who? Right? This is right and this is good. According to what standard? Compared 
to what? Well, compared to God. I know that this is right and this is good because he's always right and he is always good. That's how we think. So we are commanded to think on a foundation built on the holiness of God. He's perfectly righteous. We have to have that component for our faith to make any sense whatsoever. And we're instructed to believe that in the Old Testament and the New Testament. We think in the Old Testament, God says, be holy because I am holy. Right? It says that in in the New Testament too. And Jesus would even preach this like a a Sermon on the Mount. "You You therefore must be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. Because he is our gauge of perfection. And so that's the posture we take. We have to take that posture as we go into the book of Proverbs. Or we will be the measure of all things. And not God. And so again, we think differently. I hope this series up to this point, these nine chapters, have edified the way that you think about the decisions that you make. Should I go this way? Or should I go that way? How do I use godly wisdom in this unique gray area in life? What do I do? Well, we ask certain questions to ourselves. We say, is this pleasing to God if I go this way? We ask ourselves questions like, well, I'm not sure if I should do that or not, but would it honor God if I did? Would it bring him praise? Is it praiseworthy? Am I doing doing something that would be compatible with the holiness of God? Or am I doing something that's a sin? Man, if I, well, if I'm going to use this godly wisdom that I can freely receive from God, if I just ask him for it, if I'm going to utilize that, it has to be based on his, on, on his holiness. And so if it's a sin, of course I don't want to go in that direction. That's the way a wise person thinks, according to the book of Proverbs. And so we have to retrain our own minds. We have to renew our minds in Scripture and think this way if we want to exercise the wisdom that God has for us here in this book. And so I wanted to remind you of those things because today you're going to be called in two different directions in the passage of Scripture we're studying. You're going to be called in this direction, but you're also going to be called in a completely opposite direction. What a unique thing. What a unique moment in Scripture. You're going to be invited to two parties today. We know that Wisdom is personified as a lady in Proverbs. And so she is calling out to us today once again, but she's inviting us to her party. But we know that folly, the wisdom of the world, wisdom that is not of God, she is also personified in this book. Sometimes she's referred to as the adulterous woman. In the passage we're studying today, she is known as Lady Folly. She has a party that she has organized as well. And you are invited to it. Which invitation will you consider? In verses 1 through 6, we're going to study the invitation from Lady Wisdom. And then then we're going to skip the middle section. I'm going to read a passage of scripture out of order. And I never do that, but I just, I want to set this up to understand it as best I can as a pastor. And I think it can be beneficial for us to think of it in these terms. The last paragraph is what we're going to study second. So verses 13 through 18 is the invitation from Lady Folly. And then at the end, after we consider both of these invitations, we're going to study verses 7 through 12. And in that section of scripture lies the wisdom zingers we've been waiting for up to this point. We've been wanting those wisdom zingers, those one-liners of truth that change the way we think, that tell us how life really works. And we're going to study 7 through 12. And man, it's such a good zinger. Oh, it's so good, it's so thought-provoking, so full of truth, and it will change the way you interact with individuals. But it will do something more than that today. 
it will also expose which invitation you have chosen. And that's why I think it's extra beneficial to study it today. So let's go through verses 1 through 6. Let's study the invitation, this calling from wisdom. Come to my party that I have prepared for you. This is Lady Wisdom calling you today, the wisdom of God. Verses 1 through 6 in chapter 9 say this. Wisdom has built her house. She has hewn her seven pillars. She has slaughtered her beasts. She has mixed her wine. She has also set her table. She has sent out her young women to call from the highest places in town. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. To him who lacks sense, she says, come, eat of my bread and drink of the wine I have mixed. Leave your simple ways and live and walk in the way of insight. Have you answered that calling? Have you accepted that invitation? Have you RSVP'd yet? Well, you notice that in her invitation, wisdom has built her house. There's something we don't see there in our English translation. If you really ever want to know what the passage of Scripture says, you really got to go study it in its original context and consider that language. And so when you go read this in Hebrew, there's something unique that happens in this verse that we just can't get in our translation. Wisdom is plural. Wisdoms has built her house. No wonder they didn't write it that way in English, right? Because if we tried to read, wisdoms has built her house. That doesn't make any sense to us. But they would put things in plural for a reason. In the Hebrew language, they would put a word in plural to emphasize its magnificence. All the magnificence of wisdom has built her house. And so we can't see that emphasis in English. But if we consider that that. That the, the way the Hebrew language works, this is a really loud moment. All of, ma- all, all of the, the true wisdom of God has built her house. You're invited to come there. You're invited to participate in this party. Did you see the, the attributes of her house? She had hewn seven pillars. Seven's a perfect number in Scripture. It means that it lacks nothing. It's a complete number. There's several numbers used like that in Scripture. Seven is the most obvious one. There's seven days of the week. There's all sorts of of examples of this. It it, it recognizes that whatever it's referring to, it lacks nothing. It is complete. All of this magnificent wisdom has built the perfect house. There's seven pillars, by the way. That's got temple vibes. Well, this is the wisdom of God. This is the temple. This is the wisdom of God. You're you're being invited, invited into his house where there, ha- there are slaughtered beasts, the sacrifice. Well, in, in that day, a slaughtered beast, like uh, meat is a luxury in that day, big time. And so a celebration would be the cause of a, of a feast like this. Slaughtered beasts are here. This is a magnificent celebration. Come and, and eat this luxurious meal with mixed wine. Are you kidding me? Mixed wine? This means this isn't the cheap stuff at Aldi's, Right? The wine section, you know, it's deceivingly nice, but you look like, six bucks? What? What is this trash? I'll take it. (laughs) But this isn't the cheap stuff. This is the mixed wine. Extra spices would have been incorporated in, in making this wine. This was the expensive, extravagant wine. It's mixed and ready. Think of Thanksgiving dinner and all its magnificence. It's the best possible meal in celebration you could fathom. That's the picture that's meant to be painted in your mind at this table. It's ready and it's for you. You are invited. Just partake in it. 
Now, she, the invitation goes out to everyone. She, she sends out her young woman to the, to the highest places in town. Go and invite everyone, especially those two individuals she loves to invite and to li- to, loves to get the attention of. The simple and the foolish. Lady Wisdom has such a passion to get their attention specifically. The simple, remember, that's not someone with a low IQ. That's not someone that's stupid. That's not what it means in Proverbs. The simple is just someone who is indifferent to God. They just haven't committed. They haven't made a choice. They haven't, they haven't committed to this fear of the Lord type thinking that uses God as the standard for holiness and a way to see all of life. She especially wants to get their attention to this simple, listen, you are invited here. Don't be indifferent any longer. Come this way. Come and eat. Come to this celebration. And then she, she especially wants to talk to him who lacks sense, the foolish. This is the inexperienced. They just haven't lived enough life yet to get to the point in which they realize they need to make a choice in how they're going to live here. The invitation is to come and eat and partake and walk in the way of insight. She wants to give you that knowledge, that insight, that understanding from God. This is the way I see it and I see all things. And I want you to be able to see it this way too. And I'm freely offering this worldview and this understanding of life and how it works to you. And she really grabs our attention. It's a really appealing invite. How could anything compete with this? Well, let's read Lady Folly and her invitation. So we're going to skip that middle section, 7 through 12, and we're going to pick up at verse 13 and read through 18. Here's the other calling you can hear this morning. The woman folly is loud. She is seductive and knows nothing. She sits at the door of her house. She takes a seat on the highest places of the town, calling to those who pass by, who, go, who are going straight on their way. Whoever is simple, let him turn here. And to him who lacks sense, she says, uh, to him who lacks sense, she says, stolen water is sweet and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. But he does not know that the dead are there, that her guests are in the depths of Sheol, the realm of the dead. Lady Folly, she's loud, but she's, she's, she's loud. She's going to get your attention, but she's going to do it in all the wrong ways. She's seductive. She will seduce you with her invitation. She's got that outfit on that is like a you know, blaring light in your face. You, 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 you just can't help but notice it's there. That's how she demands or commands your attention. She will seduce you to look towards her, but she knows nothing. As we're given the invitation from Lady Folly, we're also given these uh, nuggets of warning. Uh, she doesn't know anything, just so you know, but go on. She knows nothing. Lady Wisdom, she prepared... Her feast, she sent out her young uh, women to go call to everyone, or I'm sorry, Lady Wisdom sends out her, her uh, young women to go invite everyone to her party, but, but Lady Folly does it a little bit differently, excuse me, she, she sits at the highest places, notice that the young women, they're up, they're standing, they're going, they're, they're, they're trying to get everybody's attention, Lady, Lady Folly sits there and she just, she puts out the vibe, right, she seduces you, she sits down, she takes a seat at the highest places, Calling to those who pass by, who are just wandering along, not suspecting something like this would happen. And she says, you want some of this? She's offering herself. 
by the way. The stolen water that is sweet, that's her. Right? That which God has forbidden. The bread eaten in secret is pleasant. Right? Well, maybe for a little bit until guilt sets in. But it's, it's so cheap in comparison to the feast that Lady Wisdom has, has prepared. We have all, you know, the, the slaughtered beast, the mixed wine. We've got bread and water over here. What is this, a jail? Pretty much, it's the place of Sheol. So what, when we, when we look at these two things side by side, why, do, why, why is there a competition taking place here? Well, it's because we are fallen and sinful, and when we are being seduced, we like it. We are attracted to the seduction by nature. And so what, what the book of Proverbs wants to also teach us alongside these, these wisdom zingers is, listen, you will be seduced if you are not aware. You will just be wandering along, just passing by straight on your way, and Lady Folly will be there waiting for you if you're not ready. It wants to teach us how to find wisdom and how to avoid folly in a big sense, not just in that zoomed-in micro sense, right? This bread and water, we just got to admit, I think to really grasp this moment in Proverbs, we just have to admit sometimes it does seem like that bread would be sweet and the water or the water would be sweet, the bread would taste good. We just wonder, why don't I just slip in there on my way? Maybe I could go to both parties. Maybe I could check this out. Maybe I could see what's going on. Well, if you go that way, Proverbs says, you are self-deceived. You think you are heading there to get a cheap thrill, a, mom a moment of greatness, of satisfaction, but what you are actually getting is death and decay. It will destroy you. You think that is a pleasant path, but you are tricking yourself. Don't deceive yourself. There is death there. So which invitation have you RSVP'd for? How do you know you haven't accepted this invitation? How do you know you have accepted that invitation over there with Lady Wisdom? Well, I think that's where verses 7 through 12 are very helpful for us. Very, very instructive in how to think. Very, very um, perhaps convicting when we read through it. It's a wisdom zinger that really stuck with me this week. The more I thought about it, the more impressed I was with it, the depth of wisdom that, that lies within verses 7 through 12. Well, let's just start with 7 through 9. Whoever corrects a scoffer gets himself abuse, and he who reproves a wicked man incurs injury. Do not reprove a scoffer, or he will hate you. Reprove a wise man, and he will love you. Give instruction to a wise man, and he will be still wiser. Teach a righteous man, and he will increase in learning. Here's, here's something we learn about a wise man in the book, according to the book of Proverbs. A wise man is, is someone who understands he needs improvement. A wise man is someone who understands he needs to spend a significant amount of his time listening. He's someone who understands he needs to spend a significant amount of time learning because he doesn't know it all. He doesn't have life all figured out. He needs to improve. He has fallen 
short of the glory of God. He understands that standard of righteousness has not been met by him, and so he's got a long way to go. He's got to make some changes. That's what a wise person does. And so when he gets rebuked or instruction gets thrown at him, he's willing to listen because he knows God's over there and I'm here, and there's a difference between he and I. And I need to make some changes. Changes. Scoffers are not like that. That is not how a scoffer thinks, someone who mocks or thinks they know it all. They, they never receive correction. Do you know people like this? Someone who just, just refuses to accept correction from anyone. You know, they, you can't tell them anything because they already know it all. You know people like this? They're exhausting. Scoffers are only interested in their own opinion. Don't waste your time giving your opinion to a scoffer. They don't want your opinion. They only want you to listen to their opinion. That's the way a scoffer works. And sco so this is why scoffers are so easily offended. People who are overly offended all the time are often the scoffers. They just can't fathom that anyone could correct them. They, it's inconceivable that they could be wrong. How dare you correct me? I understand how this works. Don't you tell me how this works. That's the way a scoffer thinks deep down. And so they're easily offended anytime someone wants to say that they're wrong. And so a scoffer, sometimes when they are corrected, when someone attempts to correct them, what do they do? <laughs> you know, the pompous laugh, right? Was that, was that, a, that was a decent pompous, pompous laugh. It's almost like I've done that before. They respond with put-downs, right? They're, they're so ready to mouth off. The reason they respond like that is because they think, how dare you, you deserve to be punished for trying to correct me. And that's the way they punish you. They mock you, they put you down, they laugh at you pompously, because they can't fathom why you would think you know more than them. So a wise person, I think a wise person also recognizes when they can and cannot rebuke someone, right? That's what the, that's what the proverb is teaching us. Don't correct them. Don't do it. They're a scoffer. Don't correct that person. A wise person understands when is the time to correct and who can be corrected. In order for this to be productive as an experience, you need to have those two components and understand when the timing is right. Now, this is a really good time to ask yourself a couple of hard questions here. Is there a scoffer inside of you? Have you ever had that pompous laugh? Mine was really natural, if you noticed. Have you ever put someone down because they disagreed with you? Have you ever mocked them? How easy is it for you to mouth off when you're being corrected? It rolls off my tongue. Is there a scoffer in you? If you really want to live on the edge today, ask your spouse how well you receive criticism. <laughs> if you really want to live on the edge, how well do I receive rebuke, honey? Be honest with me. That's how you live on the edge, but that's also how you live wisely. Wisdom is able to hear. Wisdom is able to listen, to, to consider the rebuke, right? 
And so, again, a wise person understands that they have fallen short of the glory of God. And so if there is a strong criticism against them, they're open to the idea because it's very plausible that I am wrong because I don't have it all figured out. I don't always respond perfectly. I don't always say the right things. I often live in the wrong posture because I am fallen and broken, and I am nothing like the perfection of God. So if you have criticism, let me hear it. I want to carefully sort through it, sift through it, consider it to see if there's any truth in it. No matter how harsh it may feel when I receive it, I'm open to it because I want to increase in learning. That's what it says there in the Proverbs that a wise man does. They desire to increase in learning. you got to be able to listen if you want to keep learning. If you want to stop learning, start scoffing. So are you a scoffer or are you a wise person? Well, again, I think that this section of wisdom zingers is sandwiched between these two invitations so that as you and I read these, we can consider which invitation we have accepted. Because our behavior exposes our beliefs. That's the way beliefs work, right? Does this person believe this? Well, I don't know. Let me see. Right? Our behavior exposes what we actually believe. And so we can consider our scoffing and our pursuit of wisdom, and we can acknowledge which path we are headed down. That's how logic works, right? That's, that's how God set up logic. Let's, let's just keep reading about the fear of the Lord here in verses 10 through 12. It says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. For by me your days will be multiplied and years will be added to your life. If you are wise, you are wise for yourself. If you scoff, you alone will bear it. Let me read that last passage, that last verse again, it's, it's one of those zingers that I think sometimes these zingers you got to read more than once. This is one of those. If you are wise, you are wise for yourself. If you scoff, you alone will bear it. You are responsible to make a choice. If the scoffer says I'm right, that's fine, I'll bear it alone. A wise man, according to Proverbs, is someone that says, I'm not always right, and I can't possibly bear this alone. I need you. I need this wisdom, God, please. I cannot bear this alone. I need that wisdom. And so when we gather every week on a Sunday, we, we gather around the gospel of Jesus because Jesus is the wisdom of God. We've, we've studied that over and over. That's literally how he is described in 1 Corinthians. Jesus is the wisdom of God. He is our feast. When we go to this party, he is what we feast upon. He, listen, listen to this verse in, in John chapter 6, my favorite chapter of the Bible. If you come to the journey, you know this already because I, I keep going back to it over and over as I preach. But listen, listen to what Jesus says. Truly, truly, I say to you, now, now I'm just, there's so much context here I can't, I just can't get to, but listen to what he says. And we'll, I, I think we're being true to the context. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat flesh, eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. Well, there's a verse that if you pluck out of context might sound a little strange. Is he uh, promoting cannibalism right now? Cut me up into a lot of pieces and literally eat me and drink my blood? No. A lot of context here. You got to keep reading 55 through 56. For my flesh is true food. 
My blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in, in him. You want to abide in the wisdom of God? You want to saturate yourself in it? You want to live out the wisdom of God? You want to receive this wisdom of God that Lady Wisdom is freely offering you? Then receive Christ. That is the feast. Jesus is our feast. His, his life is our righteousness. We feed upon his holy perfection. And through faith in his perfection, his righteousness is imputed to us. When we feed upon that, we realize I don't have to clean myself up. I'm not bearing this alone. Christ has provided my righteousness. We feed upon this juice, literally, because we're feeding upon Christ, his atonement on the cross. Oh, I can't possibly undo all of the wrong that I've done. I, I can't pay my debt to God. I'm not holy. He is holy, and I can't change that apart from him. And so we feed upon Christ because that is him. He is our feast. And that juice is, that, that juice is the mixed wine at the party. That provides our atonement, that, that washes away our sins. And so every Sunday when we gather to, to, to feast on communion, on the spiritual nourishment, we have accepted and have arrived at the party that Lady Wisdom has invited us to. So don't come here and not eat. Don't come here and just look at the, the neat presentation, the, the amazing setup on the table. Partake of the food. Feed upon Christ and his atonement, and you will receive the wisdom of God because he is the wisdom of God. Let's walk into a time of communion with that heart of gratitude that we've been invited to a party we don't deserve to be at. And feed upon his righteousness and his atonement, and we are made right through his son. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for Proverbs chapter 9. Thank you so much that so many of these chapters in Proverbs are repetitive because we need to hear this calling over and over and over again because we're stubborn, we're stiff-necked, we're sinful, we're easily seduced. Lord, so thank you in your grace and in your patience with us that you would allow us to partake of this party in your wisdom. Lord, change us today as we take communion. Help us to think about what you have done and who you are. And who we are in relationship to you through your son. We are redeemed. We are saved. We are made right. We are holy because we are in the wisdom of God. Thank you, Lord. And it's in your name.